The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about your inner magnificence. And every single one of us has that inner magnificence that we don't often really tap into, or we just don't acknowledge it, or we don't believe it. So I have a wonderful guest with us, Barry Fleet, who wrote this book that I just finished reading. It's called Move Into Your Magnificence, 101 Invitations to a Life of Passion and Joy, which we all want. And this is by Dr. Barry Fleet. So I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about himself as we start, because I think that's a great way to begin. Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Tell us a little bit about your background. Hi, Mari. Thanks for having me. So I've spent uh, 40 years off and on as a church pastor. I've been a faculty member at the School of Theology as an adjunct at Emory University, spent almost 30 years um, at Bryant University, Johnson Wales University, teaching in theology, teaching in leadership, teaching in psychology, teaching in sociology. And um, that's me. Yes. And, and you've kind of evolved, you know, as I read in your introduction, you've kind of evolved through religion to a very different form of religion than your beginning one of Methodist. So kind of share with us that because we, we're on the campus at the University of California, Irvine. People are searching for who they are and what they believe in. And then, of course, we have people driving by and people listening in. And I think we all wonder, like, what is this life all about? You know, what, what is God? What is all this? So I, I thought your evolution was really fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I was born um, into the Methodist church. Um, our house actually was on one side of the church and the parsonage was on the other side of the church. Um, my parents were very involved. And so I literally grew up in the church. Um, ours was the family. When the church doors opened, we were the ones that unlocked the doors and we were there until the very last person left so we could lock up afterwards. Wow. That's, deep, that's deep in my, in my the fiber of my being. But I was a kid that had lots of questions. Um, a lot of things didn't make sense to me. And um, the, the best answer I was given was, well, you just have to take it on faith. And that wasn't good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, so um, I found a book a long time ago called The Christian Agnostic. And basically the idea is, well, whatever you don't understand, just put that in a file drawer that says, I don't understand this yet. Um, and that was very helpful. 
Um, but then over the course of the years, um, I had some issues with the United Methodist Doctrine. And um, actually, there it's, it's um, painful now to watch as an outsider the struggle they're going through over the issue of homosexuality mm. and how, how homosexuals fit or don't fit into the church. So um, I was called to the United Church of Christ, spent another 20 years with them. But all the while, uh, my sense of God seemed to be bigger than the, than the doctrine allowed for. Mm. Um, so I retired from the United Church of Christ and, and found um, Centers for Spiritual Living, which helped me put all the pieces together. And my understanding is that, that God is love. God is everything there is. Um, and that just really resonated with me. And so it helped me expand into something that felt comfortable. So that's where I am today, where um, there is no place where God is not. It's a life force, and the nature of that force is love and goodness and beauty and joy and peace and all of those wonderful qualities that we all want to experience. Exactly. And if we think about all the great masters like Jesus, like Buddha, like Muhammad, all of them talked about that God is within, right? All of them right. really did that. And I don't know where we're like putting God outside there, um, but that that is, you know, we are one. And you talk in your book about your inner magnificence is really your connection, your the God within you, right? Absolutely, right absolutely. Um, so I, I wrote the, I intentionally used those words um, because I wanted to appeal to people that might not um, think of themselves as religious or spiritual. Um, so it, it's sort of my way of being bilingual. I can talk to people who are religious and people who aren't and use the same language and, and be heard and understood. So that's where that came from. And I have some, some wonderful Christian friends who really have begged me to call it the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And it's okay for them to call it the Holy Spirit if that works for them. Um, but I like, I like words that are more inclusive. Right. I mean, whether you call God, spirit, nature, power, right. one source, right? Right, right. It's, it's really all the same thing, you know, for, for us to think that, that you know, all, everything on this planet is made, you know, that there's one God that made the Muslims, there's another God that made the people. <laughs> not, I mean, come on. They'd be yeah. if there were so many of them, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah. So there is really that one source that we unfortunately don't recall or, or we, ha we aren't necessarily taught. We're taught that we're separate when really we're all one, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's about how we are alike instead of how we're different. Yes, yes. You know, in this book, I really love that you have really short little vignettes that you talk about things in your life and other people's lives and then you at the end, each one is an invitation to think about it for your own life, which I really, really enjoy it because, you know, sometimes you have to sit down and you have to keep reading and reading and reading, but you can do this like, you know, five minutes at a time or keep it by your bed or by your bathtub or, or by your toilet, whatever. <laughs> exactly. And just, and just read a little bit and then sit down and think about what the invitation is. So, 
So tell me, how is it that you decided to write this book in the way you wrote it? So when I was a pastor, I would write the front cover of the newsletter every week, and I would, it would be a tease for whatever the Sunday lesson was going to be. <laughs> and, and I would always end with, I'll be looking for you Sunday. That was and your invitation, right? <laughs> that, that was my invitation. And when I retired, I realized I missed writing. So I started writing just for myself. Um, but I, the thing that I liked about the newsletter cover was it had to be confined. I had to be limited to that space. Um, so I tried to, in doing my writing, I tried to limit myself. I didn't try. I did limit myself to one page. Um, and if it didn't fit on one page, then I had to edit it down. Right. And, um, and then I realized I missed having a tagline at the end. Um, you can't invite him to a service that you're not doing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so it, it kind of evolved to, um, as you say, this, this story, this vignette, with an invitation to do something with a guarantee that the extent to which you accept my invitation is the extent to which you'll be able to say, I feel good about being me. And, and you're right. This isn't a book you sit down and read from beginning to end. Um, jokingly, I've, I've been told it, it makes good bathroom reading. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think, you know, when you read one of these vignettes and then you think about your own life, it gives you time to pause and right. time to think about it because I think some of these things have to you know, kind of seep in where, um, you know, where you have an invitation to kind of think about, oh, where am I like that in my life? Now, I remember because I, I attended in spirits service all the time every Sunday myself and I know there was a song that we always teach the little kids it goes I love well, I have such a terrible voice I hate to do it <laughs> but you know I love myself the way I am there's nothing I need to change you know that song right. I'm sure you know right. it yeah. yeah and I think you know we don't learn to love ourselves a lot of times we grow up in, without perfect parents without perfect teachers, without perfect friends, and we get criticized, and then we don't feel good about ourselves. So sometimes it's really hard to get over that and to love yourself. What do you think about that? So um, when we're two, we know we're magnificent. We put a towel around our neck, and we're Superman or Superwoman, yeah. and, and we can do anything. But the uh, University of Iowa did a study. The average two-year-old hears the word no over 400 times a day. <laughs> That's why they say no so much, right? Exactly. <laughs> but when you think about what they're doing, they're just being the average two-year-old. And they're being themselves and they're exploring life. But when you keep getting the message, no, no, you start to think that there's something wrong with you. And that happens in little ways, and it happens in sometimes in big ways. Um, and and that, that magnificence that we have when we're two is still there, but it gets covered up by layers of protection because we don't want people to laugh at us. We don't want people to make fun of us. Right. And, and we even get to the point where we don't want people to even really know who we are. Right. Um, and I, I, 
in my head, there was the voice that, that said for a long time, but if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't like me. Right, right. Um, and I think there are a lot of us that are living like that. We're hiding who we are because we don't want to get hurt anymore. We don't feel good enough, right? We don't. We don't. We don't feel good enough. And I think there's so many of us that have that, that feeling with inside. And then people say, if, if you say um, you have to love yourself, then some people say, oh my gosh, you know, and, and we're not talking about narcissistic love. We're not talking about loving, uh, you know, and being arrogant or anything like that. When we no, talk about no. loving oneself, it's really accepting who we are as a child of God, as a child of the universe, right? Yeah, it's just about, it's okay to be me. Yeah. It's, it's that simple and that difficult. Of course, it's okay to be me, but it's okay to also want to be better, right? And, well, and want to learn and want to grow. And, you know, uh, the other thing is we always, you know, all of us make mistakes, and we can forgive ourselves and say, okay, what did I learn from that? <laughs> right. And, and, and in my book, Moving to Your Magnificence, I have a, a section that says there's no such thing as a mistake. There are only lessons. Right. Um, and so instead of casting it in the negative light of, oh, what an awful mistake I made, it's what a wonderful opportunity to learn something and to do life different and to do it better. Right. And to, and to live with more joy. And sometimes we, we have the same lesson over and over until we get it. It's like Groundhog Day, right? It absolutely is. It and, is. And, you know, and I, I tell my clients in mediation, especially divorce mediation, I go, well, if you don't change now, the next guy or the next gal, you're gonna, they're going to have a different face, different body, different name, but the same issues are going to come up because 50% of that is you. So you need to go within and learn the lesson from this. What is it in me that really helped to make some challenges in this marriage or whatever? But yeah, so people say, well, just, you know, and I have some people say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm, I'm hot-headed. And I go, and I think to myself, that isn't about accepting yourself the way you are. That's about not being conscious or mindful, right? Right. And, and um, a long time ago, I read about a book, a book that, that says that, that life brings us the people that we need to grow. Right. And I, and I think marriage does that especially. Um, yes. And the people that we're attracted to are the people that life knows that we need to sort of smooth off the rough edges and to help us get in touch with more of our real self. Um, right. And, you know, in, in your business, I know that you've seen people who've been in multiple marriages, they, they, they marry the same person over and over again. It's just yeah. with a different name and a different face, but right. it's the same stuff. Yep. And that's that lesson that we keep repeating. That's why one of my favorite movies is Groundhog Day, uh -huh. because he has to, he keeps doing the same stuff until he gets it right. And then, of course, when he gets it right, He's happy, he's talented, he's got the girl, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I, I love that movie because I think it's such a spiritual movie about really questioning what is it in me that needs to grow? Not what needs to change necessarily like I'm bad, but 
you know, even at, at my age and your age, you know, that we can always grow. We can always learn, right? And that, I think that's part of human nature. And I think that's part of our magnificence is that, that we, there's always room to grow. There's always room to learn. There, there's always room to expand. Yes. Um, and, and when we stop doing that is when life stops being joyful. Right. It just gets yeah. routine yeah. And, and empty. And, and it's not healthy for us, we, you know, for our brains either to stop learning and keep doing the same habits over and over again. We're miserable and it's not good for our, our brain. Not so, good for our brains or our bodies. Our brains or our bodies, right. Well, also, you know, magnificence really comes in with leadership. You know, I do, I know you do leadership training and I do leadership training and I, I teach, you know, law enforcement and other attorneys, I'm a certified trainer. And when people are leaders, what makes a good leader? Let's talk about that, that using your magnificence. And again, I'm, if my audience wants to see this book again, it's Move Into Your Magnificence, 101 Invitations to a Life of Passion and Joy. And we're talking with Dr. Barry Fleet right now. So let's talk about magnificence in the area of leadership. So there are a couple of things that come into mind. One is the when I was first starting out, the very first leadership course I took, I got exposed to what's called the monkey theory of management. And what that means is when you're a leader, when you're a supervisor and somebody comes to you with a problem, a monkey on their back, when they leave you, be sure the monkey's still on their back. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because sometimes we, we, some of us are, are real fix-it persons, and anytime somebody has a problem, we're going to fix it for them. And what we do is we deny that person the opportunity to learn and grow and to get in touch with the lesson they need. So I think that's one of the important things about leadership is, is the delegating and, and letting people do what they're capable of doing, helping them have the resources they need, but fundamentally, it's their job to do, it's their problem to solve. Right, because when you're a leader, you're like a teacher, and a teacher wants to help people to grow, right? So right. if someone comes to you and says, oh, gosh, I can't stand working with that guy. Move me to a different department. And then you say, okay, so what part of that is you? <laughs> yeah. What, what is the issue? What do you, what do you, if you were sitting in my shoes, what would you tell me? You know? kind of like engage them in, in that kind of a process so that they come up with it. I know for me in mediation, people come and they expect me to fix everything, you know, solve the problem. And I go, look, the, the answer to the problem is in the problem. And you right. guys know it better than me. So I'm here to just ask you good questions. I'm here to help you get creative. I'm here to have you stop fighting. I'm here to have you focus on solutions. So, yeah. you know, that's my job. My job is not to solve it, you know? Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's their problem. Yeah, and, and they the know the problem best, the and they know the facts, and they know everything. And, and sometimes they look at me like, well, why can't you solve it? Or especially when I, when I do divorce mediation, they want to complain about the other side. And I go, okay, so what do you think you should do about it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's that's another part of, of leadership and relationship is we listen to a point and then there comes a point where it's time to act. 
and just continuing to listen to the complaint doesn't help anybody. Right. Um, so yeah, great question. So what are you going People to do? People will tell about? me, um, they'll say, I don't want this and I don't want that. And I don't want this. I go, okay, I understand what you don't want. Tell me what you do want. Right. <laughs> and then they're right. kind of stuck. Yeah. Like, they haven't thought about it. They thought only about what they don't want. Right. Right. Drives me um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a piece in, in my, in my book where I use the analogy of sailing. And when I'm in a sailboat, you tell me where you don't want to go. Well, there are 359 places right. that I might, but you tell me where you want to go. Now, now we can go there. Right. I, I love that analogy because I'm a sailor too. And I remember, in fact, if you look at my logo, it's two sailboats with a dolphin over it. The dolphin's trying yeah. to keep them from colliding. And I, I made that up many, many, oh God, 35 years ago. But my philosophy was, you know, you can't direct the wind, but you right. sure can, you know, you can turn your tiller and you can pull in your sheet or you can let it out or whatever. Right. You cannot change what's happening around you. You can't control other people. And the hardest thing is just to control yourself. <laughs> yes, right? it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how does magnificence help us to control ourselves and, and deal with, you know, not getting into escalated conflict? Um, a couple of things. One is I think we, and your question is great. So what can you do about it? Um, and when I, when I do counseling with folks, with couples, not as a lawyer, but as a therapist, um, asking, so what part of this problem do you own? Um, what Sometimes is, they'll say none. <laughs> So one of, one of the questions I like to ask is, so what's one thing that you could do that would make things 5% better? Not fix it, just 5% just better. What's one thing that you could do right now that would make things 5% better? Right. And, and that helps people do two things. One is realize they are part of the problem. They're also part of the solution. Right. And, and when I can see what I can do to make things a little bit better, I realize I have power to help things change. And that's the magnificence. When we realize we have power to make things different. Yeah. I have a funny story. I had a, a couple in mediation and they were married like 65 years. If you can imagine oh, wow. how old they were and they decided to divorce then, it was oh. crazy. Anyway, um, so I. I started out and I said, you know, both of you are 50% 50 responsible for the challenges in your marriage. I'm not blaming you, but you, you know, you own about 50% of the challenges. And the wife turned to me and she goes, nope, uh, he is 98% responsible. For <laughs> I knew I was going to have a problem then, you know, <laughs> but I, I kind of looked at her like, okay, you know, I was trying to be even handed here. I, I don't say that anymore because I learned my lesson with that one. <laughs> that so it'd be, it other. would be interesting to ask her what the 2% is that she was responsible right. for. Yeah. Yeah. We did start talking about like, well, yeah. So that little part, <laughs> what part yeah. is you? <laughs> yeah. I stayed yeah. too long. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, so um, 
being a, a better boss and in using your magn how is it that we can move into our magnificence um in in terms of really appreciating ourselves when we're in the workplace and things are really stressful and things are really tough what what can we do to use our magnificence to to deal with all these challenges um I, I think it, it goes to what in psychology is the locus of control. Mm. Do I allow myself to be controlled by things outside of me mm -hmm. or do I get in touch with the things that I can control? And, and like with, with your, with your client. So hypothetically, maybe she was right. Hypothetically, right. but there's, there's 2% that she does have control over. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at, so what can I do differently? Right. As you're saying, I can't change the wind, but I can, there are some things I can do in the midst of the wind to help me get where I want to go. And, right. and I, think, I think looking at what we can do and, and the more we do what we can do, all of a sudden we realize there's even more that we can do. Um, so it's, it's getting in touch with What's the little bit that I can do? And then right. just do that. And that, that little bit then starts to grow. And I think when you get back to your magnificence and talk about your magnificence is really your source, your God, whatever you want to call it. Right. Your, your higher power, your higher intelligence, whatever it is. I think for me, when things get really stressful, I go within. You know, I touch my heart. And I asked for the magnificence within me or God within me or spirit guide me, you know, and when I get yeah. centered, then I, then I'm not in my stress or in my amygdala, you know, those two right, right. Shape, fight, flight, right. or flee. and then I get out of my ego that I don't I'm not the one to solve this. They are. Sometimes you feel like this heavy burden, like I'm sure for you, if you're trying to help a couple, you know, to keep their marriage together, sometimes we, we feel like it's our responsibility. And at least for me, I sometimes feel, oh my God, I'm responsible to make this peaceful. And then I have to go within and say, you know what, I'm not responsible. I'm only responsible to be a peaceful presence here to help them get where they need to go and ask the right questions and then it's really their issue but it's it's sometimes hard our ego gets in the way of our magnificence <laughs> um every lawyer and every minister i know has a big ego <laughs> <laughs> well we we have this you know we got into it because we want to we want to help people or we want right. to make things right or do in truth, justice in the American way, or right. we want to like bring people to to their God center, whatever it is. But um, so it's it's not nasty like we're trying to have power, but we are trying to exert <laughs> control to some extent, right? We we do, and and I think it's such an insightful observation when we can stop and just go within. Um, the Old Testament talks about the still small voice. Yeah. When I can when I can take the clutter of the world and just push it away for a little while and get in touch with that quiet place in me that's the source of wisdom. Yeah. 
I've, I've been listening to Greg Braden. I don't know if you know who he is. He's amazing. And he talks about all the science. He's really a scientist. And he talks about doing three, you know, three times. Well, believe it or not, we're just about to have to stop. But he talks about just putting your hand on your heart and taking five seconds in to breathe and five seconds out and do that for a few minutes. And it totally gets you back into your magnificence, as you would say, but gets you more centered. So, and I, and I would add to that, make yourself smile while you're doing it. Perfect. Well, that's a great way for us to end because we are out of time. So I want you to give your website again and it's time to go. So my website is www.drbarryfleet, Dr. Barry Fleet. Yeah, and Barry is with one R. Barry with one R, it is. Okay, well, we will stay in touch and have you back again, okay? Laurie, thank you so much. This has been so delightful. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You gotta fight both night and day Doesn't matter what some